Good morning and welcome to Grace Life. Uh, we are incredibly glad that you're here, that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. We can just proclaim that God is our salvation and we get a little a little slice of, of heaven just worshiping together. And even as we'll, we'll take the Lord's Supper later and looking forward to the final marriage supper of the Lamb. Um, so thank you for being here. Um, if I have not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Matt Carr. Uh, my wife Alexa and I and our son Haddon uh, just moved down about a month ago um, from North Carolina to be a part of Grace Life and, and to serve you guys in, in whatever ways uh, in whatever ways needed. Um, and I just want to say on, on behalf of me and my family, thank you guys so much. Um, we've been overwhelmed and, and literally left speechless at times. Um, from the way you guys have welcomed us and loved us already. Um, you guys are just a really sweet body of believers, and uh, thank you. We're just really excited to be here, so thank you guys. Um, I want to read our welcome, our official Grace Life welcome. There we go. To all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come, Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. So on the screen, you can see a, a QR code. Uh, if you scan that with your camera app on your phone, or if you just open the Church Center app, that's where you can find uh, the scripture for today, which is Romans chapter 5. Um, you can also see upcoming events um, at, here at Grace Life. You can find different ways to connect. Um, and also, we don't pass, uh, pass an offering plate um, here at Grace Life. But if you wish to give and, and partner with us in that way, um, giving to help us fulfill our gospel commission here, you can also um, give on the Church Center app as well. Um, one last thing before I read today's scripture. Uh, today is actually the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church across the world. So we just wanted to take time this morning to pray for our brothers and sisters um, who, I mean, we're here in a, in a public school meeting right now um, with, without any fear of any sort of persecution. Um, so it's hard for us to grasp exactly what these men and women and children um, go through. But we just want to pause and, and pray for them. Um, so I'll pray, then I'll read, this, read the scripture, and then Tommy will come up. So let's pray together. God, we just lift up our brothers and sisters across the world who we have not even met. But we know we are one body and one family through the blood of Jesus. So, Father, for those who suffer simply because they identify with Jesus, simply because they want to share the good news of the gospel. Father, be with those men and women and children, God. Holy Spirit, fill them with your power to have boldness, to have endurance and perseverance, Father. God, you say that apart from you, we can do nothing. So God, fill them, fill those churches, fill those gathering today, who may have fear and anxiety that they will be found out, Father. Bring your peace. Bring your protection, Lord. And God, may your gospel begin to transform 
those places and those countries to where they can, can share your gospel and see people come to faith, Lord. And those communities can be transformed and flipped upside down because of your kingdom coming here on earth, Lord. And God, may we have boldness as well. God, to pray for them faithfully, to share the gospel here where it's, it's so comfortable, Lord. Please give us a sense of urgency to spread your name wherever we can, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, you can turn or scroll to Romans chapter 5. Verse 1 through 5, Tommy, or am I stopping? 1 through 5. I'll go ahead and read it for us. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained, obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. This is God's word. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Life, and those of you who are watching from home, and you have your heater on, it's, it's a good day to have a heater. Um, we are grateful for God's work in our life, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather yet again uh, under the relative safety for now, we're safe for now, the God protecting us and God giving us the freedoms and the liberties that so many men and women have given their life for, who are giving their life at this very instant. In places we don't even know about, in battles we don't even know about, uh, to preserve our freedoms as, as Americans to do this. And so I'm grateful. Um, as Matt said, we're going we're gonna to be in Romans chapter 5, so you can make your way there. And today's message is called, uh, Don't Waste Your Suffering. It's a good day for that message, since it's the international day of prayer for the persecuted Christians and for persecuted churches. So Romans chapter 5, just leave your... Leave your Bibles marked there or your smart devices. It was, uh, it was Christmas morning around 1986 or 1987. And the, the memory is really vivid in my mind. Me and my older brother, Tim, and my older sister, Tony, we had just finished unwrapping uh, our final gifts under the tree. We were happy. We were enjoying the afterglow of the holiday. You know, when you're picking up the wrapping paper and you're watching your parents being satisfied that their kids are enjoying what they purchased for them. We were saying our thanks. We were giving our hugs. We were wishing everyone Merry Christmas. And then my dad just nonchalantly said, uh, told one of us, he said, will you, will you go in the kitchen real quick? And I don't remember what he said, refill his coffee or make sure the coffee maker was turned off or something like that. And we went into the kitchen. And when we walked in there before our eyes, was a CBS Honda 125 motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, now I cannot, 
I can't express to you the joy, the thrill, the, the gratitude in my heart. Maybe this picture will help a little bit, okay? <laughs> that's an actual picture on that actual day. Uh, and that's your pastor and all of his 10-year-old glory or 11-year-old glory sitting on that thing. And that meant so much more to me because I knew how hard my parents had worked and all the sacrifices they made. I did not expect that. That was a complete shock, a complete surprise to me. And man, did I put some mileage on that thing. My dad said, you can ride it fast or you can make it last. Well, I did both. <laughs> thing lasted for years. It lasted for years. I better take that picture off. You're just going to be stuck on that, aren't you? <laughs> my face says it all. That was the best Christmas ever. We were already happy. We were already satisfied. We were already grateful. It was as if my dad had said, hey, kids, not only did your mom and I get you everything you just unwrapped under that Christmas tree, which were amazing, great gifts, not only that, but go into the kitchen and check the coffee maker. Not only that, but this. We're, we're going to see a little bit of that in Romans chapter 5 this morning. I don't know if you caught it when Matt read that passage, but put your eyes on that chapter 5 again, and, and I want you to, to listen. This is, this is a Christmas tree, okay? This is the Christmas tree of our justification by faith alone and Christ alone, and we've been unwrapping all these amazing presents. We don't deserve them, but that's the beauty of grace. They're unmerited, they're unearned, they're unconditional, it's one way. Listen to what God has given us already to unwrap under the tree. Therefore, since we have been justified, passive tense, we have been justified. It was something that was done to us by somebody else in spite of us. We made no contribution whatsoever. We did the sinning, God did the saving, God did the justifying. Since we have been justified by faith, we have, what do we got for him, Johnny? Well, we've got peace with God. You were his enemy. And he made you his friend. He died for you. He brought you into the circle. He brought you into the kingdom. He adopted you. He declared you blameless. All accounts settled. You were on your way to the gallows, and instead the executioner said, come home with me and have dinner. I'm going to give you my family name. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access. We never have to face the, the jeopardy or the threat of being removed from that position. You know, the legal system, once you're adopted and in that day and age in Rome, you were more secure than if you were a natural offspring of a parent. So not only are you justified, you have peace with God, you have access, unobscured access, unlimited, unbreakable access with God. At any given time, you can go into His presence with boldness, with confidence. Tell me what other religion, faith, or ideology or worldview offers that. None of them. Into this grace in which we stand, and, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We finally have hope. We know glory is coming. So we just unwrap those gifts. Unbreakable peace with God, unlimited access with God, unassailable joy and hope in the glory of God. And then Paul says this, verse 3. Not only that, <laughs> go check the coffee maker in the kitchen, Paul says. What's in there? Oh, my friends, check this out. Verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, that may not sound like a gift until you suffer. When you do, if you have what Paul is promising here, you will see that's better than a brand new CBS 125 shining polished Honda sitting in your kitchen. We rejoice in our sufferings, 
knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. One person that I enjoy reading on Romans, he said this is the greatest chapter in the Bible. He says that every chapter, but he said it for chapter 5 too, and I believe it is. He says this, this chapter can be summed up with one word, assurance. This is assurance. You belong to God. He doesn't regret his decision to make you his child. He's not going anywhere. See, God justified you with his eyes wide open. He knew the worst about you already. The worst thing you've yet to do, God already saw that, and he justified you. He's never going to change his mind. We say things like, well, the jury's still out on that, or you're going to get in by the skin of your teeth. Can I just tell you, that's, not only is that a lie, that's damaging heresy. There's no skin of your teeth or hair of your chinny-chin-chin in the kingdom. Full sonship. Full sonship. Eyes wide open. You're mine. I want you, and I'm keeping you, and nothing's ever going to jeopardize that. Makes me want to do a backflip and charge hell with a water pistol. So, <laughs> that was the best Christmas ever, and not only that, not only that, we rejoice. Now, catch the force of Paul's words here, okay? We rejoice. We rejoice. That word rejoice, it actually, actually means exultant celebra celebration and joy. It actually means the word is better translated, we boast. When's the last time that you bragged about your suffering? Hey, man, I got to tell you the other day, I got in this terrible wreck. My car was totaled. I didn't have insurance. I mean, we don't, we don't typically boast about suffering. Like, bro, I got COVID. High five. We don't do that. That's insane. It's unnatural. It is unnatural. It's supernatural. It's crazy. It's what it is. And only Christianity of all the religions in the world offers that. We rejoice. That is to celebrate something that has hurt you deeply. That's just not, that's just not human. We just don't do that. Now, you may not know this, but over, I think, 90 years ago, there was a town in Alabama that underwent severe tragedy. It was like communal tragedy. Everyone experienced it because cotton was the number one cash crop in the South back in the day. Uh, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this little... I don't know if it is a weevil, an insect, whatever, whatever genre or class or kingdom or phylus order, whatever it's in. This bow weevil, who was, it was native to Mexico, it found its way into the deep south and it found a cotton field. And man, did it wreak havoc. It wreaked havoc. It destroyed, just in a matter of years, 50% of all the cash crop of cotton in the south. Now, I live in the south. I live in cotton country. I grew up there in Arkansas. And I can tell you that was devastating. Devastating. But guess what the bow weevil did for that little town in Alabama and for all the South? It introduced to them an alternate form of cash crop called peanuts. And with peanut farming, they made, I don't know, tenfold what they ever could have uh, growing cotton. And so guess what this town did? They erected a monument. To, that's not my, one of my kids saw that, or my wife saw it. She said, that's not real. I said, no, that is real. That's a real picture. It's of a lady holding up a bow weevil. <laughs> That sounds crazy. It looks, looks crazy, doesn't it? What are they doing? They are celebrating something that hurt them deeply because it ushered in a wave of prosperity and joy and a deeper appreciation than would have been possible otherwise. And I, I want to ask you today, are you able to do that with your suffering? Because the Bible says we know this. Paul, this is chapter 5 of a 16-chapter book. 
And Paul says, we know this. He doesn't say we feel this. You cannot bake. I love emotions. God, we're made in God's image, and we have emotions. And Jesus came to show us what the Father is like, and Jesus wept. Jesus got angry. Jesus got tired. Jesus had emotions. Emotions can't drive the car or we'll go into the ditch, right? But they're real. But Paul's not saying we feel this. He says we know this. We know what suffering does. We know that it's a gift. So we don't, we don't want to waste it. You don't waste gifts. I just don't think that very many Christians view suffering as a gift for lots of different reasons. One of them is really bad teaching that tells you, hey, if you're suffering, that's a sign of God's displeasure. And it can be a sign of chastening. God does chasten his children just like a parent does. If you get wayward or cross or disobedient or get into this destructive cycle, a parent loves you so much, they come alongside you and they use whatever form, <clears throat> as Hebrews says, whatever seems best to us as parents, we exercise that on our children because we love them. But just because you suffer does not necessarily mean you're getting chastened. Jesus suffered. Job suffered. Paul suffered. Paul's life is a case study in suffering, and it wasn't always chastening. Often it was God's good gift to them and to us to deepen our dependency on him, to grow. In fact, that's our outline today, jumping right in here. Uh, don't waste your suffering. Why? If you tell me a reason that I, that I won't view it as just neglect or trash, well, Paul gives us three reasons here. Number one, suffering grows you. It grows you. It's like a gymnasium, okay? Suffering is like a gymnasium. It grows you. It's like a classroom. It teaches you. Number two, suffering proves you. It shows what you're made of. Now, look, I'm not getting into the new age. You're awesome. You're enough. I'm not saying that at all. Apart from Christ, you're not awesome. You're not enough. <laughs> Apart from Christ, you can do absolutely nothing. Go and, go and prove that. It won't, it won't take long. <laughs> or pray in your own name sometime. I was telling my kids that the other day. I said, how's this sound? In the name of Jackson, I pray, amen. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Suffering proves you. It shows that in Christ, you're spiritually invincible, right? And third, suffering prepares you. It prepares you for glory. That's the hope that it's talking about here, that you won't be ashamed of or disappointed in. So those three things we're going to look at one at a time. Number one, suffering grows you. Suffering grows you. And this is a this is really important because we hear lots of stories today about people who supposedly uh, deconvert. Have you guys heard that word? They deconvert, they kick Christianity to the curb, they're done with the church, they're done with their Bible, they're all out, they wash their hands of it. Now this is another sermon for another day, it'll be coming soon in chapter 8. I don't believe once God saves you, you can lose your salvation because you didn't do anything to gain your salvation in the first place. And I'll be the first to tell you, if... I could lose my salvation, I would, every single day, and so would you. I'd do it before my second cup of coffee, okay? <laughs> I'd do it as I'm getting out of bed. I don't believe that. So whenever you're reading a story, it can be confusing. You're like, wow, how do they deconvert? That's another story for another day. A lot of people are deceived. A lot of people think they made a decision to follow Christ, or they think they're in Christ, and they believe something that was a false gospel. But a lot of people do have these stories of deconstruction. And I've encountered them. I have encountered them. Uh, we hear lots of stories about it today. People say goodbye to the church. And surveys have offered us insight into what triggered their departure. Some claim that they encountered new material. They read something or encountered something that 
that maybe contradicted their religious beliefs. Others say they met a new friend who challenged their worldview. But often the real reason that people abandon their faith, if there is such a thing as abandoning Christianity, there's not, is because they face a new experience that they don't have the resources to cope with. And usually that new experience is suffering. They weren't ready for that. They didn't expect that. In fact, whatever teaching they were under said that now you're in Christ, you're a new creature, God loves you so much, you're going to escape every form of suffering. And then the first form of suffering that comes along, they get angry, they get bitter, they get detached, and they say, that's it, I'm out. Kind of like the parable of the four soils, right? Tribulation comes up. Weeds choke out their faith and the cares of this world, and they're done. That new experience is suffering. I met a lady years ago who I had been inviting to church for probably a year. It was the first year we planted this church. And she was not opposed to Christianity. She had just been out of church for decades. She was one of the de-church people that you read about in all these surveys. And one day she just showed up, and she absolutely loved it. She loved it, and she continued to come. A close member of her family needed counseling, and that drew her even further in, and gratitude and appreciation. So our church reached out to her and met her in her need, and she began to attend more regularly, and she was listening attentively to the messages. And, and one Sunday she pulled me aside, and she said, I need to meet with you. And so I went and I had lunch with her, and she said, the most wonderful thing has happened. I think that I have been saved, and I want to become a member of the church. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's awesome, man. It was like what you read, how a church plan is supposed to work. It was actually working. I was like, this is amazing. Well, shortly after that, she began to experience some extreme adversity, suffering, trouble in her family, trouble with her health, trouble with her ex, trouble with her kids, even trouble with her career. She lost her job unexpectedly, and it was just one thing after another, and she was gone. She was out. She left. She ghosted me. She wouldn't respond to my phone calls or my texts, but I saw her one day out in public. And she tried to dodge me down the grocery store. I was after her, man. <laughs> I found her. And I gently asked her, what's going on? What happened, man? We miss you. Haven't seen you in forever. You know, how can I serve you and your family? Have you ever heard me say that to you? That's code. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what she said. She told me what was going on. She said, why would God do this to me if he loves me? Why would God do this to me? Or fill in the blank, let this happen to me. Why would God introduce suffering into my life if he loves me? And here's the kicker, man. She wasn't looking for an answer. I had one, by the way, but I, I will tell you this. It takes more than five minutes to undo a life of false teaching. She didn't want to hear it. She was out. I never saw her again. I have not seen her at this church since. Even when I think of her and reach out, it's nothing. What happened? She had already made her mind up that suffering and God's love are mutually exclusive realities. Is that true? Once you become a Christian, does God shield you from all suffering? Not at all. Faithful Christians are not spared trouble. Read the Bible. It won't take you very long at all to see it. And I will say this. If that's the kind of exposure you got to Christianity, then what's going to happen after you start following Jesus and you lose your job? Or, you, or your kids stop talking to you? Or that scan comes back or that biopsy comes back cancerous or you never find that spouse that you're looking for or you find that spouse you're looking for and it's not what you thought it would be or whatever fill in the blank 
The answer is you're going to be bitter. There's going to be a wedge driven between you and God because you're suffering. Instead of it serving magnetically, like Paul says in this passage, to draw you closer to God and draw God closer to you. Suffering grows you. This is what it says here. It says suffering produces endurance. It does something. Suffering does something. That word endurance, it means to remain under. To remain under. To stay put. And to let it do its work. It's like suffering is a furnace. That's maybe one of the richest, 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 sorry. One of the richest word pictures in the Bible about suffering is it's the furnace of affliction, right? And when you're in it, it doesn't feel comfortable, but it's working. It's doing something. It's growing you. It's putting spiritual muscles on you that you wouldn't otherwise get. Listen, God will use suffering to take you places you wouldn't otherwise go to produce in you what you otherwise wouldn't get. That's what he does. That's what suffering. God loves you too much to give you an easy life. Have you ever met somebody that's never suffered in their life? And they got all these pithy sayings and they got everything figured out and, and then suffering comes and they're a wreck. They're a train wreck. You, you're thinking as you're hearing them tell you their, their uh, philosophy of life and you see their trouble-free existence, you're thinking, stand by. <laughs> stand by. It's like the person that writes a book on parenting when he has a, an infant. Stand by. <laughs> Tr- trouble's coming. I love that this says, uh, verse 3 here, focusing in on that. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. This is not just for some elite Christian. And by the way, there's no such thing as an elite Christian. This is not just for apostles. This is for everybody. This is God's promise to every single person who's been justified and who is in Christ. We rejoice in our sufferings. And sufferings is plural. This is not just some special particular form of suffering. It's any kind of suffering. Primarily the kind that comes because of your faith. And I, w- man, don't you wish you knew the things that happen to you that are because you're a Christian? If we needed to know, God would show us. But man, there's things that happen to me. I got, I mean, would that kid have gotten sick if I wasn't a Christian? Is that the devil? Is this thing going on that's weird in the middle of the night? Is that spiritual warfare because I'm preaching the gospel and teaching on prayer and suffering? I don't know. Maybe one day God will show me. But I know this word, it's, it's thlipsies. Thlipsies is the word, and it means pressure. It means pressure. In fact... Here's a, here's a word picture of what this word actually means in Greek. It's, it's what happens when you're squeezed. It's used of the squeezing and the pressing of olives to get the oil out. It's used of the pressing and the squeezing of grapes to get the wine out. It's, it's the world, the devil, the flesh. It's all the things that a Christian will experience pain and agony and persecution and trouble and anguish. Anybody facing any of that this week? that need this reminder? I am. I am. And if you're not, don't worry, you will. (laughs) So just footnote this message, okay? This is for later. (laughs) Thlipsies. Pressure. Squeezing. This is, when you squeeze a Christian, this is the stuff that oozes out. We're all full of something, folks. (laughs) It's true. It's true. God uses suffering to squeeze glory out of us. He loves us too much, man, to give us an easy, pain-free, carefree life. I mean, we've all seen humans that that, that happens to, man. Aren't they spoiled? And they're kind of naive, and they haven't really tested their belief system yet. The world has a way of wrecking our belief system when it's wrong, doesn't it? So suffering grows us. It grows us. 
It's not always a sign of God's displeasure, not at all. If you view, that, if you view it that way, you're going to grow bitter and you're going to grow resentful. Uh, excuse me, resentful. And here's another problem. If you view adversity as a sign of God's displeasure, then you have to view prosperity as a sign of his favor. And that has some pretty serious implications. There's, there's a whole group of, I think, misled Christians who believe that. That, that can be troubling. In fact, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says, on the day of prosperity, be joyful. But on the day of adversity, consider, has not God done the one as well as the other? Suffering is everywhere. Job in chapter 5 says, man is full of trouble, man is full of suffering as the sparks fly upward from the, from the fire. It's everywhere. You don't have to go looking for, for trouble and suffering. It will find you, right? There's a poem that says, trouble will find you wherever you go, no matter if you're fast, no matter if you're slow. It will catch you. And when it does, Paul wants you to know something. God loves you so much, he brought this gift into your life. This is like a superpower. Use it. It's a gift. It could be anything that makes life harder and threatens your faith in the goodness and power and wisdom of God. And by the way, Paul's not the only person that ever said this. This is all over the Bible. And I don't, wanna, I don't want to give you 500 verses. If you have a Bible, you can read it and you can find these. But here are just a few, okay? James says this, count it all joy, my brothers. He's saying the same thing as Paul, right? Rejoice in your sufferings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, Paul said we know, James said we know, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Don't you love it when apostles agree? They always do, by the way, in the Bible. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and complete, lacking in nothing. So if you want to be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing, then welcome the suffering when it comes. See it as a gift, not as a curse, not as a sign of God's displeasure, but as a gymnasium. It's time to go to the gym. It's time to go to the classroom. It's time to grow, to get strong, to go deep, to draw near God. And Paul was a trouble expert, and he wrote so many different places. Here's another place in Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings, for your sake. That's an, isn't that crazy? Isn't that insane? Who does that? And then here's another place in Corinthians 1, 6 and 7. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction. That's the same word, thlipsis. Paul's traveling around, planting churches, preaching the gospel, and he's suffering. He's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been left for, bed, for dead. Excuse me. Uh, he's suffered beatings and whippings, had to escape for his life. Stranded in the middle of the ocean, lots of things. And he says, I don't want you to be unaware of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength. Isn't that what God does? I'm going to read this up here. I made it too little for my eyes. Utterly burdened beyond our strength so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Did you hear? He said this pressure, this ellipsis had a purpose. It was made to cause us to rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Suffering breaks you of relying on yourself. How many people relied on yourself recently this week? Come on, guys. It's church. Be honest. 
How many people were disappointed in themselves? <laughs> See, we still don't learn, do we? God loves you so much, he gave you this reminder today. Quit relying on yourself. You're going to disappoint yourself and make yourself angry. God says, rely on me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So suffering is a useful gift, useful gift from God. And I can't read that either. That's my fault, so forget that. It was good. We'll come back to it later. Email me for my notes, all right? <laughs> Rejoice in your suffering. Now, there are ways that you can handle your suffering. There's ways we misread this text in our mind. He does not say rejoice because of your sufferings or rejoice for your sufferings. That would be a little bit weird. I don't want to suffer, do you? And suffering, listen, Jesus came into a world that was broken because of sin and because of unbelief. And Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus saw suffering and he saw tragedy. He saw what sin and unbelief had did. He saw what rebellion against God had brought into the world and he wept. He's a high priest. He's sympathetic to us. So you shouldn't desire suffering. He's not saying that. That's, that's masochism, right? That's kind of sadistic. It's crazy. You feel like maybe, uh, maybe you're somehow earning God's favor if you can get enough suffering. You can kind of atone for yourself. That's not what he's saying here. Nor is Paul saying you can be stoic. You know, you can just bite, have a stiff upper lip and a clenched fist and grit your teeth. He's not saying that either. Those things will harden you. Those things won't soften you. Those things will make you hard. And listen, if that's the way you face suffering, then you'll be the last person on earth that somebody wants to talk to when they need help and when they're suffering. Because you'll be hard. You'll, you'll lack compassion. You'll lack empathy. One of the ways suffering grows us is it softens us. I'm a little bit OCD. Okay, I'm a lot OCD. And I can't stand for dishes to be in the sink. It drives me crazy. It does, especially if they're in the left side of the sink. That's another sermon for another day. So when I see dishes in the sink, I want to get them out of there. I would rather they be in the dishwasher, ideally in the cabinet, clean and, and wiped off. But sometimes my wife will cook an amazing meal, and she had to cook it in the oven, and there's a casserole pan or a pie, pie pan or something. And she's letting it soak in the, in the sink in hot water.
fire. Like you're in this furnace, and you know this furnace is going to change you. It's going to prove you. It's going to, it's going to burn off all the, the wasteful and, and, and dross and, and fake metallic alloys. And it's going to give you the purest. It's going to show you what this metal is really made of. It's going to produce quality. It's going to show the true inner workings that the Holy Spirit is doing. It's going to examine you. It's going to prove you. That's God's promise. So when we learn to trust God in the trials, we learn to experience his sustaining power. And it increases our faith. It purges us. It sanctifies us. It's like a mirror. It shows us that God is actually at work. He's changing us into his image. Sometimes we don't see that, do we? Isn't it hard sometimes? Like if you're trying to lose weight or maybe you're trying to gain weight or whatever it is, you don't see change overnight. It's hard to see it. It's imperceptible until you see a buddy that you haven't seen forever and they either see that you've gained weight and they don't say anything because they love you. <laughs> or they're like, oh my goodness, you look so thin. You look so great, right? It's hard for us to see that change happening. But when suffering comes, that's when we can see it. It's like, you know what? I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. God's doing something miraculous and supernatural here. He's changing me. He's softening me. I'm welcoming pain because I know it's accomplishing something good and something valuable. Suffering can temper us like steel where it takes more and more to break you. So when you go through tribulation, your faith is being tested and it's going to show you like I really am in Christ. I really am hoping in God. I really am seeing and attaching my faith to something beyond this. That's what suffering often does. It breaks the things that we're tethered to, right? I've had lots of car seats since we started having kids. And I've learned this. If your car seat is not tethered to the frame of your car, it's pretty much worthless. You know that? If, you, if I attached a car seat to one of my other kids in the <laughs> seat, that car seat is only as strong as what it's attached to, right? And do you know what suffering does? Sometimes it shows you, man, you're attached, you're attached to the wrong thing, bro. If I'm rappelling over a cliff and I've got this strong rope, it doesn't matter how strong the rope is. If it's, if it's tied to a weed on top of the mountain, not good. Big problemo. But if it's tied around this oak tree of God's grace and love and faithfulness, I'll be okay. If wind comes or my buddy pushes me, I'll be all right because I'm anchored. That's what hope in the Bible is referred to as an anchor of the soul, right? I'm anchored. That's what suffering does. People who have never suffered are likely to have very naive stories about the meaning of life. Suffering has a way of shattering those, doesn't it? And we need to let it. If your worldview and, and your faith can't withstand suffering and pain and agony, you need to re-examine it and reevaluate it. Even if it's under the name of Christianity, you better make sure you're getting it all from the Bible. Because the Bible says we count it all joy because it's a gift. It does something tremendous. Third point here, okay? Suffering prepares you. Listen to this. Now, I'm, I'm only going to get into this today. There, there's a powerful verse here when it says that, that the love of God is poured out. Here, let me just read this, the last verse. Verse 4, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Man, that's a powerful truth, and we're going to dig into that deeper next time. What does it mean? God's love has been poured out. How does the Holy Spirit factor into that? That's too much to cover in one little point here. We're going to get into that next week. But I just want to drill down in this hope that suffering produces that will not put you to shame. When I was in high school, there was a really smart kid in our class. 
He was smart in every subject, man. Chemistry, English, history, math, you name it. Even PE, man. The kid was built like a rock, and he was super intelligent. His name was Mike Bratcher, and I just got to be honest with y'all. Everybody cheated off of this kid's test. Everybody in the class depended on Mike Bratcher, man. Every study guide, hey, Mike, you got your notes? Hey, Mike, you got the answers? Hey, Mike, can I call you later? Hey, Mike, can you tutor me? He was the kid. And I don't even think he sat up front. He didn't need to, but everybody found a way to look at his test paper. Now, I know what you're wondering. Pastor Tommy, did you cheat? Listen, that's not important for this sermon, okay? <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> what matters is this. One, I don't know if Mike Bradshaw just had a bad day one week or if he knew what we were all doing and he was sick of it, or he had this cruel, vengeful joke he was going to play. But Mike Bratcher, in, in a very important test near the end of the semester, he bombed. He bombed the test. I mean, he bombed it bad. Not like a B plus, which would have made him cry. He like got a D or an F. And I remember, every, <laughs> I remember everybody else in the class was angry. They were angry at Mike. Like, Mike, you failed us, bro. Mike. What the heck, man? What are you doing? And Mike just had this smirk on us. I think, it, I think it was a revenge plan is what I think it was. But listen, everybody in that class had their hope attached to Mike Bratcher. And you know what? Their hope disappointed them and left them ashamed. Every single one of them. Why? Because Mike Bratcher, let's just say Mike had a bad day, okay? He didn't feel good that day. Whatever it is that you're attaching your hope to, you better make sure it's not going to have a bad day. If it's your bank account, if, if that's what you're, everybody in here, you have something or someone that you have pinned, and, and all laughing, all serious, uh, I want to be really serious now. Everybody in this room and everyone watching from home, you have attached and pinned your hope, you've tethered it to something. And you better hope that something that you've tethered it to is not going to have a bad day. If it's your bank account, what are you going to do when the stock market crashes? If it's this investment you made, what are you going to do when that tanks? A lot of people got shocked when the whole Bitcoin thing, I've got close friends, man, that was like their life. That was everything they were banking on, and it totally crashed that week. I mean, it's kind of unpredictable, isn't it? What is it? Is it I'm going to find a spouse, or the spouse that I find is going to be this, or that my kids are going to be this? Is it your beauty? I mean, your spouse is going to have a bad day. Your bank account's going to have a bad day. If it's your beauty, your face is going to have a bad day. Listen. Whatever it is that you're attaching your hope to that's outside of Jesus, you are going to be disappointed at best and devastated at worst. And suffering is intended to show you there's only one thing, one person you can attach that hope to that it's not going to leave you disillusioned, disappointed, doubtful, angry, resentful, and it's Christ. It's Christ. Because, listen, no circumstance you ever face can touch him. He is, he's transcendent above it all, and when you're tethered to him, man, that's the frame of the car. That's the oak tree on top of the cliff. That's it. Johnny Erickson taught, I told you, when she was 17 years old, she was diving in the ocean. The whole story is amazing, man. She hit bottom, broke her neck. She was going to drown, but her sister, who was walking away from her on the dock, a crab pinched her pinky toe, and she went out and turned around. And she saw Johnny floating face down in the water. Had that crab not pinched her toe, she wouldn't have seen her. And Johnny, that very morning, had dyed her hair bright orange or bright yellow or something, and her sister was able to see it. Just God's providence and all the endless possibilities, contingencies, it's amazing. But she turned and saw her sister, rescued her, but she was a quadriplegic. I told you, wheelchair, 50 years. She wrote a book on heaven. This is what she said. 
The first thing she said in that book, she said, in this life, there are more important things than walking. Wow. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Then she said this, I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven and put it in a corner, and then in my new, perfect, glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior, holding his nail-pierced hands, and I'll say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble, because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the, the harder I leaned on you, and the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. Suffering, amen, praise God. She's still going, as far as I know. She's still going, writing books, speaking, amazing encouragement to suffering Christians around the world. Suffering can serve as a minimalist for our lives. It can show you what's really important. It's interesting, I, I could have lengthened that paragraph. She said, and then when Jesus and I are through laughing and I'm crying, she said, in the one time that I can finally use my hands to wipe away my tear, I won't have to because he's going to wipe away my tear. I read that to my wife and I was like, it's powerful. Our hope is only in what remains when everything else is lost. You don't know that Jesus is all you need until you realize that he's really all you have sometimes, right? Until you hit rock bottom. So in conclusion, we can rejoice in suffering because we know it's going to grow us. It's going to prove us. It's going to prepare us for glory. It's going to wean us from the destructive and, dis- and seductive lies that this world tells us and that sin tells us. It's going to strengthen and deepen our dependency and our appreciation of Christ. That's what the word hope in the Bible means, by the way. It's not blind optimism. It's faith looking forward. We know that glory is coming. We know that God is going to fix all this. He's going to give us a new body. He's going to restore this planet. He's going to fix everything. That's what suffering reminds us of. That's what Jesus did when he was performing miracles. Those were little glimpses. Those were little previews of coming attractions of a world that's not broken by sin, bodies that aren't wrecked by pain and atrophy. That's what Jesus is doing. But let me tell you what the ultimate purpose of suffering is. And we see it in 1 Peter 3. And it was accomplished by Christ. Because I want to tell you this, we will never rejoice in our sufferings until we first rejoice in Christ's sufferings. Let me say that again. You will never, I will never rejoice in our sufferings until we learn to rejoice in his sufferings, which is the gospel. That's what we're doing in a second here. We're going to rejoice again in the sufferings of Christ. Why? Because of what they did. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God. Man, we better thank God for his sufferings because they brought us to God, right? Jesus suffered once for you. He ran towards suffering. We hear about firemen and first responders. I read a story about 9-11. Firemen were running up the stairs to trouble when the civilians were running down the stairs to safety. That's what Christ did. He ran to trouble, to suffering. He ran into the midst of the fiery furnace. Remember that story in Daniel 3? When uh, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were cast into the fiery furnace for their devotion to Yahweh. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he looked into the furnace and he said, wait a minute, were there not three men thrown in there? I see a fourth, and his appearance is like a god, the son of a god. And that's the beauty of what justification gives us. God is with us in our sufferings. Unlike Jesus, we're not alone. Unlike Jesus, we're not abandoned. (laughs) Jesus was alone in his suffering. He was abandoned in his suffering, and his suffering, it swallowed him. 
but we have the promise in our suffering, it's only going to, it's only going to strengthen us and, and deepen us and grow us. Let me close with this verse from the Old Testament, and then we're going to have communion. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for these truths. I pray that especially the people that are in here that don't know you, Lord, they will learn to look at your suffering and know why Jesus Christ had to come and die, because we are so sinful. God had to come down. He had to become a human being, and he had to take the penalty that our sin deserves. He stood between us and God's wrath. He absorbed all of it. He was our substitute. He died in our place. He, he lived a perfect and righteous life, the only life that God the Father will accept, and he gave that to us freely. And then he took our punishment. He took our guilt upon himself, Lord. And he, on the cross, took that. And then he rose from the grave, and he sat down triumphantly, victoriously, after he ascended to heaven. And he sits there to this day making intercession for us. I pray if anybody in this room has not owned that, has not believed that, has not embraced that, that they would. Even right now in their chair, Lord, they would accept you as their Lord and Savior. And they would know what this strange ceremony that we're about to go through, what it symbolizes and signifies, Lord. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for your suffering. Thank you for your death, for your resurrection, so that we can have the hope that this passage talks about. We pray all these things in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this is a first Sunday, and on first Sundays, we, we celebrate communion, and some of you have children in the back who have professed faith in Christ, and I will invite you while we're preparing here that you can go and grab them. The teachers are aware that you're going to do that. If you want your children to join you and you can partake of this together as a family, that would be wonderful. And for the rest of you, as we prepare our hearts for this, just want to remind you that uh, this is not the Lord's funeral. This is the Lord's supper. This is serious because it reminds us of the suffering of Jesus. It reminds us of what our sin cost him. Our sins are so serious that God had to come. Jesus had to come and die. They're that serious. But we are so loved by God that he was glad to do it. He rejoiced to do it. Hebrews 12 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. And we're celebrating that today. So this is a reminder of what Jesus Christ did on behalf of you and me. So I invite you, if you are a believer today, if you're trusting in Christ alone to save you from your sins, I invite you by all means partake of this with us and uh, prepare your hearts for that and Kyle's going to lead us into some some music as we prepare our hearts and I'm going to invite our servers to come down with me here to prepare the table for us. You guys can take the... Thank you.
I'm going to ask our servers to uh, distribute these elements to you. And I just want to remind you, since, since COVID hit for the second wave, we have remained committed to, to serving communion in prepackaged uh, containers here. It's a little bit tricky to get these open, so feel free to, when you get yours, get it ready. There's two different, uh, two different tops you peel off. One has that wafer under it, and the other one has the juice under it. And so uh, as they distribute these, I'm going to pray as they do that, and I'll be reading some scripture that you can just meditate on, and then we're going to all do this together as a congregation. But this has uh, been prepared with sanitized hands, and so uh, it's okay if you want to sit this out. If you have any fear uh, or misgivings about that, that's okay. Nobody's going to judge you. This is grace life. But uh, if you are in Christ this morning, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ this very moment for your salvation, I invite you to partake with us in communion. Let me pray. Lord, prepare our hearts, help us to do what the Bible tells us to do, and rejoice in the sufferings of Jesus to remember, to remember. As often as you do this, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Our hearts are so prone to forget. Thank you for this tangible, physical reminder where we can handle and touch and taste and feel and be reminded of what our Savior experienced on our behalf so we could be brought back to God. Thank you for this, Lord. May it be a powerful means of assurance today. For someone who's forgotten how much you love them, Lord, and they feel distant and aloof and cold and detached, use this powerful reminder, Lord, to, to prove to them again. You love them, you are for them, and you are committed to them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, servers, you can distribute these now. I know we're already in the book of Romans, but I'm always trying to find a way on uh, first Sundays to smuggle in chapter 8 because it's such a powerful and a rich reminder of how much God loves us and how secure we are. Sometimes suffering can feel like you're, maybe you're a plant and you're getting uprooted, uh, but it's actually God reminding you how, how strong your roots are, how deep they go, and that no storm no wind, no rain, no flood is going to be able to pull you up because you're deep. So the end of Romans 8 has is, is always been a powerful reminder. I'll just read it to you. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, that is, shall suffering, shall trouble, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. 
No, Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Do you feel that this morning? Do you know that this morning? You are more than a conqueror because of Christ. Not because you're crushing it in life, but because Christ was crushed for you so that you could thrive and flourish and know that you are his. Man, I love that. We're more than conquerors. This is just a victory lap, folks. Race has already been won. The war has already been fought. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth, debt, <laughs> nor depth or debt, <laughs> or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, let me read these words that Christ told his disciples. This is what Paul writes. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this wafer is just a symbol. It's a reminder of Christ's body. And he says, take this just like it's my body that was broken for you. Let's do this together. Take the bread. And then in verse 25, it says this. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So this is symbolic of the blood of Christ, and we do this in remembrance of him. Let's do it together. And then he says this, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we are all right now preaching a sermon to one another and to ourselves. We are proclaiming the death of Christ until he comes again. And I love, if you go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3, the very first temptation that was presented to Adam and Eve, what did the devil say? He said, you see this fruit? Take it and eat and you'll live. But what happened? They died spiritually, didn't they? On that very day, they died. Death entered the world. We're going to learn a little bit later in this chapter. Through one man's sin and act of rebellion, death spread to all men. And now look what Christ has done. He's reversed that. Jesus says, this is my body. Take, eat, and you will live. And Jesus is not a liar. <laughs> You've partaken of his death. You've partaken of his suffering. And the Bible says you have eternal life and nothing can ever threaten that or jeopardize that. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for these assurances, for these promises. I pray that, that as we would sing together in just a minute, that that would be just a barometer of our heart being thrilled and singing, even in our suffering, Lord. It's going to deepen, deepen us into the, the center of your love for us. Thank you for those truths, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, servers, you may be seated. And Kyle, it says on that night, after they partook of the, of the Last Supper, that they sang a hymn together. You got a hymn for us? And then I think Matt's going to come and close us out with some announcements in our charge. So let's stand and sing. Amen. What can wash away my sin? 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other bounds I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that it was not just the blood of some animal, Lord, but it was the blood of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there is nothing more powerful than that, Father. Thank you that your sacrifice and our faith in you grants us eternal life, Father. Thank you for that. And if there's anyone in here struggling with assurance, Lord, I pray that you can just lead them to your words and lead them to your promises that those who put their faith in you are justified and are right in your eyes, Father. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Before, uh, before Matt does our announcements and closes us off, just a Three quick things. Uh, first, we you can you can take a seat. It's okay. First of all, if you have the empty cup of the juice in it, those things tend to spill over and stain really bad the carpet in here. And we want to good be good partners with the school and take care of the facility. So we have baskets in the back. As you leave, take these with you and just drop them in there. Um, secondly, I never really got an opportunity to thank everyone. Uh, it's weird for pastors to talk about October being a Pastor Appreciation Month. Super awkward for me, just because I, I want my security to go deeper in the gospel. It just feels weird to talk about, hey, will you appreciate me? But you guys always do. It's amazing. Our staff has, you have, and uh, Sarah and I just felt just lavished with your love and gifts, cards, letters, your kindness. Thank you so much. Thank you to our elders, Steve and Cliff, uh, to our staff, Diane and Megan and Matt and Courtney and the worship team, everybody else, giving giving me time in October. I got to go away and minister to a pastor friend of mine and and uh, Cliff preached a sermon. It was amazing a couple of weeks ago. You guys are the most amazing congregation I have ever been a part of. And I'm not saying that to flatter you. God knows. I, I, this, I love this church. I love you. I love what God is doing here. And we're growing. We, we were able to welcome 13 new members last week, baptized three people. We just met Matt again this morning, brought his family here to help us do discipleship. Uh, and I'm excited for what God, God has. We're just getting started, guys. We really are just getting started. I'm so thankful to be a part of this, that you guys tolerate me and all my weird idiosyncrasies. Uh, and there's something I didn't get to do last week uh, that I wanted to do. I don't want to embarrass you guys. I forgot to introduce you to the congregation. You've been a member for well over two months now. You're always serving somewhere whenever we do the, the, pre, the introduction. So can I get you to come up here real quick? Just right here. You won't have to go up on the stage. I said we, we were introducing 13 new members last week, and there were only 11 uh, that we did. So here's 12 and 13. This is, this is Michael and Lisa Wyckoff, and they came over here from Pine Ridge Fellowship. He's actually a pastor, and he has been a pastor to me. He has encouraged my heart. Lisa has encouraged my wife's heart, and they jumped right in with serving, meeting with me, encouraging. They're leading a community group in their house. They're hosting and facilitating, and... Uh, I'm just so thankful and appreciative for them coming over here and using their gifts, and I wanted to officially and formally introduce them to you. So if you have not yet met uh, Michael and Lisa Wyckoff, you shake their hand and say hello to them today. Now it's official. Welcome to Grace Life, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And is there something else I'm forgetting, or is that it? And now it's your turn. I think it's your turn. Go for it. We just have uh, a couple of quick announcements. Um, the first one's a doozy. All right. Grace Life is launching a student ministry for 6th through 12th graders. Yes. Yeah, we, we are super excited. Um, so if you are a student or a parent of a student, Sunday, December 5th, we're having 
We're calling it a vision meeting just so you can hear what we're about, what we're trying to do. Um, we're trying to invest in the next generation of, of Grace Life and of believers. So Sunday, December 5th, lunch will be provided. It'll be right over in the cafeteria. So come stop by. Um, like I said, we are extremely excited um, to get this going and, and to serve that pocket of, of Grace Life. Um, also, we have community groups this week. If you are not a part of one, um, man, we would highly encourage you to find one close to home. You can see they're, they're kind of spread out all across the Quad City area. Um, I had a pastor who would say that circles are better than rows, and community groups just for, provides a space where you can um, ask any questions, you can share encouragement, get feedback. And, and the, uh, the sermon was about suffering. If you're in a season of suffering and you just need encouragement, you need people to love on you, I would highly encourage um, jumping into a community group. You can go on that church center app. You can scan that QR code to, to see the addresses and, and find out where those are. Um, with that being said, I'm going to read our charge, and, and then we'll be dismissed. So you can, say, you can stand and, and say this with me. So let's read it together. I am a witness. I've been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. I'm sorry. Actually, this is uh, just a definitely a, a suffering kind of announcement. I was hoping that we could um, pray. You're probably all aware of the um, tragedy of a student that lost their lives here at Delton High School. His name was Zyrus. And I just was hoping that maybe we could just pray for the family and for the community and especially for the staff. You know, here they're trying to minister, you know, to the to students here at Delton High School and for the principal. Um, so if you, we could just be, you know, praying for them this week as they are just in a really hard season of suffering. Uh, we'll, we'll pray. Pray with me. Father God, um, I, I just don't have words, Lord. Just rely on your Holy Spirit to comfort as only you can comfort, Father. When I think about the things that uh, would be the worst, Lord, I do think about parents that have to face this type of suffering of losing a child. But, Lord, we can look to you. You know exactly what that feels like because you gave up your son. But, Lord, just in our humanity, in our flesh, Father, we need you. This is so devastating to this community, Lord, to the people at this school. Um, for Principal McAuliffe, Lord, that is uh, the leader of this school and has to navigate that with staff and also, um, you know, the teachers and the students, Lord. I pray that you would give him wisdom, Lord. I pray that you would also surround him with people to encourage him in this time. And I pray that you would... Um, you would help us, Lord, to also come alongside of the staff and the teachers of this school. And um, I lift up Lindsay to you, Lord, and Matt Malazzo, who um, are a part of this church. Uh, help them, Lord, to minister to those that, um, that need it most in this campus, Lord. And we just pray that you would work uh, in the hearts and lives, Lord, of, of all of these students and bring them your comfort and your peace, Lord. 
Uh, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You have been sent.